And welcome back to Boston, the Boston Sports Summit. I'm your host, Tim Barnett, where in this show we're talking all about Boston. That's right. We got the Patriots, Celtics, Red Sox, and Bruins on tap for tonight. It's going to be an interesting one because there's a lot that's going on, a lot of conversation mixing between how Gerard Mayo and his, you know, words, his press conference, and how he's preparing for his first year as a uh, head coach in the NFL. Uh, we also have the uh, Celtics right here, the Celtics who are kind of in an interesting point in their season, right? They had a bad loss to the Nuggets, I thought, and then rebounded quickly with uh, back-to-back wins on back-to-back nights against Houston and Dallas. Then we got the Bruins, who right now are on a five-game win streak. They're heading into the All-Star break, uh, riding on a high streak. They still have a couple more games, so it's not completely into the All-Star break just yet. But they are, like I said, five-game win streak. They beat Winnipeg, who, who is the number one team, excuse me, in the Central Division. So that's a massive win uh, for them. And then the Red Sox. I said this last week, and I'll say it again. The Red Sox are doing their thing where they are pissing off their fans, talking about how they are just – you know, they, they think they're, they're calling their fans liars. They had winter weekend, which was a fiasco. And the last two years, that's exactly what it's been. So we're going to dive right into the thick of things, talking about the Patriots. Okay, we're going to talk about the Patriots and talk about Gerard Mayo. Now, Gerard Mayo, like I mentioned, he just got named the head coach of the New England Patriots after 24 I would say long and successful careers, uh, careers, long and successful years under Bill Belichick. And the, he didn't, he is not Bill Belichick, right? He is not Bill Belichick. Belichick is very tight lipped. He wants to keep everything close to the vest. He'll never let the media, never let the fans know what's going on, what the process is like. And yet Gerard Mayo has already jumped that gun. He is on the complete opposite end of the train, telling the fans kind of exactly what they want to hear, right? He's telling the fans that, here it is, quote, we're bringing in talent 1,000%. We have a lot of cap space in cash. We're ready to burn some cash. He said that on the Greg Hill Show on WEEI just a few days ago. And that is a very, I want to say, interesting quote, right? It is a very interesting quote because there's a lot to it, okay? There's a lot to break down with that because when you think about it, right, when you think about they want to burn cash. Now, New England has been one of the worst uh, real cash spending teams in NFL history. And now they want to imitate the Red Sox there. That's Gerard Gerard Mayo's way of saying we're going full throttle, right? Is that are we really going to have this, you know, Red Sox are saying it, now the Pats are going to say it. But next season they have roughly 
$118 million of uh, real money spending for uh, next season under on the books. That's exactly what they have. The salary cap is projected to hit around 240. And now they there's a 90% rule over the next three seasons from 24 to 26. And they can spend it all right now. Or they can, uh, you know, build it off over the next three seasons. Okay. You know, keep spending, but raise the, you know, raise it up. When looking at the Patriots and how they rank in cap, cash spending, here it is. The Patriots rank third in cap space coming into 2024. They are ranked 30th of 32 teams in real cash spending at $188 million. Now, I just want to let you know, real cash spending is what matters. The salary cap, you can fudge those numbers. You can you know, throw signing uh, bonuses in, and that will affect the cap by also eliminating and freeing up some cap space. There's a lot of ways you can manipulate the salary cap. The only thing that truly matters in the NFL is real cash spending. So that's a big, that's a big thing, ranking 30th of 32 teams in cash spending at $188 million. Whereas, whereas they were high, as high as third – in 2021, totaling $222 million. So they've gotten as high as third and as low as 31st over the past decade in 2020. And in 2024, in 2014, excuse me, which if you all remember, in 2014, they won the Super Bowl. They had Darrell Revis, Brandon Browner. They had... Um, Gerard Mayo was on that roster. He got hurt, but he was on that roster. Chandler Jones, Dante Hightower, Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, Rob Gronkowski. Again, and yet they were 31st that year in terms of cash spending. Now, over the last 10 years, the Patriots rank absolute last in cash spending at $1.62 billion. Now, if you want to compare that to the Eagles, who were first over that same time period, spending $1.92 billion. That is $300 million that the Pats are, you could argue, pocketing. And with them pocketing that, what could they spend that on, right? What are they able to use that on i mean you could argue oh well they could use it to pay their coaching staff because bill belichick was arguably the highest paid coach in the nfl okay but that's 25 million a year if we want to guesstimate what bill's contract was right we we have a fairly good idea it was around 20 20 to 25 million per season but again if you, you you're pocketing 300 million and you're telling me that over that time frame, you know, Bill's contract didn't fluctuate. It didn't go from like 15 to 25, something like that. So, again, there's still more money that is able to spend. But wait a minute. Hold on. I just thought of this. Didn't the Patriots just put in a giant lighthouse in a massive scoreboard, which with wise? is perfect it is cool it is awesome 
But then when you do it comparative height wise, you're like, I, there's so much left to be desired. Okay. So, and yet they're talking about how, oh, that lighthouse, that lighthouse is so cool because you can see all the way from Providence to Boston and you get to look over Foxborough Center. Yay. Foxborough Center. Ooh, I'm so excited to see Foxborough Center because it's not like, you know, Foxborough is this high pop and area. It's not like the only attraction if you ever wanted to go to Foxborough was Patriot Place and Gillette Stadium. No, no, no. Foxborough Center is where everything is at. That's what's happening, baby. That's what's happening. Spare me, right? Spare me the theatrics. Spare me the idea that, you know, I want to see Foxborough Center, that I want to see the view of downtown Providence, the view of downtown Boston, all the way in this freaking lighthouse that, honestly, they they only used, you know, celebrities to ring the bell, which the bell wasn't even attached to the lighthouse. They wheeled in a bell to attach to the lighthouse. So that was kind of, you know, interesting to me when I saw that and saw the fact that once again, over the last decade, they ranked dead last in real cash spending at $1.62 billion, saving essentially 300 million compared to what the Eagles have done in the same time frame. And so it brings me to Gerard and what he has said to the media. He has gone on, and like I like I showed, we're bringing in talent a thousand percent. We have a lot of cap space in cash. We're ready to burn some cash. Great, love it. You know, I thought the Red Sox were going to do that, but they didn't. They screwed us over. And again, I'll get to that later. I mentioned it last week. I'll get to it again. But. This time, you have Gerard talking about burning cash and doing that, which I'm like, great. That's awesome. I, I want that. Now, who are they going to spend it on? That's that's the million-dollar question. What are their areas of need, and who who can they spend that on in free agency before the draft so that way they can address some key points in free agency and then take that and what they know from their roster makeup and use their draft capital wisely. Great. Let's do that. Let's look at some of the top 10 free agents listed by pro football focus. Now this is all in all. um, There are no franchise tags yet. No re-sign. As far as we know, this is the top 10, right? Top 10 overall. Defensive tackle Chris Jones from Kansas City. I like that, but I doubt he's either he's leaving Kansas City, but he's not coming here. Where our D-line is, I would say, pretty good. You know, not great, but pretty good. And I would be shocked if he left. Uh, Next, Kirk Cousins. I think you're going to get into a bidding war with Kirk Cousins. I would love to have Kirk Cousins. Uh, and I think he's definitely going to fit an area need, but more on that in a little bit. Defensive end, Josh Allen, not happening. 
T. Higgins. I'll get more to that in a little later. Justin Matabuke is a defensive tackle out of Baltimore. Baltimore's riding high there in the AFC Championship, just like Chris Jones is. And that is going to be interesting. And I, I don't see him leaving Baltimore. Christian Wilkins, DN, Miami. Nope. Uh, he's probably past his prime. Antoine Winfield, safety. I would say you're you definitely need um one of your areas of need, I think, is definitely in the DB room and safety being one of them. And with the way Winfield played in Tampa this past season, I would love, love to have Antoine Winfield. But between Tampa and probably some need from other uh, teams at that position, there's no way you're going to spend, you know, that money on him. I would be shocked if they did. Let's put it that way. And then you have two corners. Jalen Johnson out of Chicago and Legere uh, Sneed out of Kansas City. Again, Sneed uh, is in the AFC Championship. Jalen Johnson, I think he's probably long gone. So, okay, that's that's great. We have those those are the top ten, a lot of which are on defense. And as as we know, New England is not short of defensive players. They have a great assortment of defensive players and ranking top 10 in defense, if not, you know, at worst, you know, top half of the league every year. So now if we want to address an area of need, let's look at the top three offensive linemen. Top three offensive linemen, we have Tyron Smith. Oh, and look at that. Number two is Trent Trent Brown. And number three is uh, Michael Wenu. And that's interesting to me that you have Tyron Williams, who's number one, and he's going to command a lot of money. There's no two ways about it, but he's hurt. He's hurt quite often. And if he can stay healthy, then he's worth the money, but he can't. Next, we have Trent Brown, who he was, he literally was only here. Because of Tom Brady. Number 77 was only here because of Tom Brady. And the fact when Tom Brady was gone, he, he just didn't give a shit. Like, honestly, that's exactly how it ended with him. He did not give a damn about being out there, making his you know name. He just was like, I'm done. And New England tried to pay him. They tried to give him extra money, more cash to incentivize them. And that honestly only lasted for so long. The next is Michael Wenu. Now, I like Wenu. I think he would be great uh, staying in New England. And, but, again, he's going to command a lot of money himself. So, I, I'm not sure. And, again, it's not like New England doesn't have – the cap, I, that's the thing. They, they have plenty of room, plenty of real cash, not the salary cap, plenty of real cash to spend. But the million-dollar question is, will they? And so with a winner, they should, but it remains to be seen. Next, they definitely have an area, a wide receiver area of need. There's no two ways about it. If you're telling me, that 
Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker, Pop Douglas, Juju Smith-Schuster. That is a solid receiving room. Then you're out of your mind. The only two guys that I actually like are Pop Douglas, who I think he definitely needs to get bigger. Uh, That's number one. Number two with Pop Douglas is he just – he. He has to stay healthy. He's very dynamic. He's shifty. He's a great – he's a very good receiver when he gets the ball in his hands. thing is, he needs to get the ball in his hands, and he's small. And then Kendrick Bourne, as much as I like Bourne, he's a good player, but I feel like Bourne at best is a borderline number two receiver. Borderline number two, whereas – I think Bourne would thrive as that number three, you know, true slot guy. But then him and Douglas would be going back and forth. Juju, done. Get him out of here. I am sick of – I'm just sick of him. I, I, you know, he's he's worthless. And same with Devontae Parker. Yeah, all right, he had a couple good catches in the last two games of uh, the season. But overall, Devontae Parker – I never liked him. The dude's dealing with soft tissue injuries left and right. He's, at best, a bum. Sorry. That's what he is. He had that, uh, you know, what was it, flare-up um, with the media mid midway through the year, talking about, oh, well, the, you know, the ball never hit my hand. Dude, it clearly was in his hand. It Clearly wasn't fingertips. It was smack dab right here. And he dropped it. And so I have a problem with that. I had, you know, his attitude. He just didn't take accountability. That's really what bothered me. He's like, he didn't take accountability. He's like, uh, just acting stupid. And so that bothered me. So going into this, we definitely need a wide receiver upgrade. And starting from left to right, you got T Higgins from Cincinnati. Now T Higgins okay, he's he's good, but he's, again, going to be franchise tagged by Cincinnati. I would be shocked if he hits the open market. And so if he's franchise tagged, well, there goes that option. There goes the option that everybody was hoping for, you know, especially in New England. Next, you have Michael Pittman Jr., who is, again, a good receiver, I think they need to keep him um, due to the fact that he – that receiving room is not deep. That receiving room is not deep. And will he, you know, help them? Yeah, he'll help them. But it's not like he's going to leapfrog anybody, right? He's a very good number two. And, again – Indy, if they can't get him re-signed, will probably franchise tag him. Third, Mike Evans. Would love to have Mike Evans. I know he's, you know, on the wrong side of 30 now, um, being 30 years old. But he, uh, again, the dude just puts up 1,000-yard seasons no matter who his quarterback is. Jameis Winston, Tom Brady, Baker Mayfield, Right. He just puts up 1,000-yard seasons year after year after year. Lately, though, he has had issue with his drops. Uh, so that's going to be really suspect to me. 
but I I would love to have Mike Evans, and you know I unfortunately I don't believe New England's gonna shell out the amount of real money it's gonna take to get Mike Evans due to the fact that they're like well last offseason we we re-signed Devontae Parker for three years at $33 million because he threw a hissy fit to Bill Belichick that the Patriots were interested in DeAndre Hopkins. And if, De- if I was in that room and Devontae Parker came to me and said, I don't like the fact that you're courting DeAndre Hopkins, I, I am here, I know the system, I want you know, uh, um, a re- you know, restructure, and, you know, I would have looked at him and told him to go screw, go prove it because clearly he hasn't proved it. And I don't believe he's proved it. I don't believe he's proved to be the 11 million a year receiver uh, with, with that. It's, and so it's bothersome to me that, you know, technically we have the number one guy, but I guarantee you, he will not, he will either one, not finish out this season or two, Devontae Parker is going to um, is going to get injured over the life of this contract and only play a certain amount of games for the remaining life of the contract. I wouldn't be surprised at that. Next, you have Marquise Hollywood Brown of the Cardinals. And I would be shocked if the Cardinals got rid of him. I mean, they did trade for him um, uh, last offseason. So there is uh, some continuity with continuity with that. I think they're going to try to keep them and, you know, ride it out with Kyler Murray. That's, that's their goal. Their goal is to ride it out with Kyler Murray. Um, and so I can, I can see them keeping, you know, Brown as well, however they do it. And it's not like he's going to command a lot of money either. I would assume because the dude really hasn't done enough to make it worth um, a big second contract. I think he'll try to, uh, you know, get a short-term deal with Arizona, maybe one, two-year deal as kind of a, all right, I'll go out and prove it now that we're really stabilized with Kyler, especially due to the fact that Kyler had to come back from his torn ACL after last season. And then lastly, Calvin Ridley. I am really interested in, in Calvin Ridley, I think he is a um, a get type of player. I think we can. I think there is the possibility of the Pats uh, signing him, not only to a uh, good deal for both sides, but he did sit out a year. He did have that whole gambling issue, and then this season he honestly put up a quiet, th- uh, a quiet thousand yard season. You know, I think he put up a quiet thousand yard season. He did enough to get through, to get by. And I would like, I would like to add him to the roster because Juju's done. I just want Juju to retire. So that way New England doesn't have to pay him a damn thing anymore because it was a joke. We gave up Jacoby Myers and traded and spent more money to get Juju Smith-Schuster. Absolute joke. Absolute joke. Um, And then... The other aspect that New England desperately needs is a quarterback. They're the number three overall pick. There are talks about them getting Drake May or Jaden Daniels. And 
I like both guys. I think Jaden Daniels um, is not physically ready for the NFL. I think he's too small. I think he's too skinny. And I'm not saying the dude can't run. He can't throw. Obviously, he, I think, led the nation in uh, deep balls, deep ball passing. So there's that. Uh, but I think he's just too small. You know, a couple hits from some of these 350-pound guys, you know, a, a hit from Chris Jones, and his season could be over like that. Now, Drake May is also not massive either, but he's more stocky. He's more built. And with that, I would be more comfortable. Yet at the end of the day, I would prefer to sign a guy off free agency and have them play for a year while the kid we drafted three overall is going to sit. Now, with that being said, these are the top four quarterbacks, I think, according, actually not, I think, according to Pro Football Focus, and it's Kirk Cousins, who, like I mentioned earlier, I would love to sign. I would love it because I think what it's going to do is it's going to give this offense more, I, I want to say credibility, but I don't think that's the right word. It's just going to help bridge i think it's going to bridge the gap right i think we could sign kirk to a two-year fully extended uh, fully guaranteed deal which i think kirk cousins is one of very 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 few players to have multiple fully guaranteed contracts and i wouldn't be surprised if that continues uh, that being said sign him to a, a couple year deal hopefully he can survive the, uh, the whole deal never gets injured, in which case it leaves the door wide open to Jaden Daniels to get bigger, stronger, uh, and be able to survive getting hit all the time. Or at least to Drake May, who, again, can do the same thing, but also uh, can allow both of them to sit back, take it all in, take what the NFL is giving them, you know, and pull a Jordan Love, right? Jordan Love sat for three years behind Aaron Rodgers, and look how well Green Bay is doing. It's like the Packers haven't missed a beat. And that's why I think that's going to be uh, big time for them. But keep going on. You have Ryan Tannehill, who I think is 35. Now, he fits that mold that I was saying, but why – why would we go after Tannehill? I think Tannehill is a bum. I've never liked Tannehill from his days in Miami to his days in Tennessee. I couldn't believe he got the Titans to an AFC title game. But if memory serves right, that was during the COVID year. So, again, everything was, you know, kind of crazy that year. <laughs> um, and then Baker Mayfield. I don't think Baker is leaving Tampa Bay. I think he's going to be in Tampa Bay uh, for the foreseeable future. And I think that's going to be – um, a done deal, and especially if they can bring back Mike Evans, you know, then it's really going to be a done deal. I think Baker will do whatever it takes to stay in Tampa because the guys already bounced around uh, with three other teams, you know, including that whole uh, fiasco where he got traded or he got placed on waivers, picked up by the Rams, and started that week, which in turn he led them on a game-winning drive without barely even knowing the offense. 
Uh, so that was that was wild. And then the last guy here is Gardner Minshew. I've been a big Gardner Minshew fan for the longest time, you know, coming out of Washington State. And I think with him is the fact that, you know, he's going to – he's still young, though. He's 27, you know, and with him being 27, I don't like the fact that it's not a perfect bridge year. Right, Gardner Minshew doesn't want to be a, you know, uh, a, either a journeyman or a, um, or you know, a, a bridge quarterback. He doesn't want to fill in now for the future guy. He still has a career left to be played. You know, he's 27 years old, so why would he do that? Um, you know, and so. I think there are some op- some options here at quarterback, but the only perfect option, in my opinion, has to be Kirk Cousins. It has to be. He's old enough where he's like, I've made all my money. I don't, you know, I don't care. I can be, I can help the next guy, you know, learn and thrive and uh, become the superstar that he needs to be while also, um, you know, providing, providing for the team and helping New England go farther than um, than four and thirteen, right? So I would take Kirk Cousins over anybody. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, when talking about them being able to spend money, and as Gerard alluded to. Again, bottom line, we're ready to burn some cash. I want them to do it. I really do. And and I'm not going to fault them for going out and signing guys and spending big, knowing full well that the talent pool in free agency isn't that strong. You know, that's kind of the big thing that I was trying to show you with those rankings. It's, you know, you can't get one of those old linemen because Trent Brown refuses to come back. He is done. He is checked out. Um, Owenu, you know, I think you can bring him back. You should, but you're going to have to overspend. And some of these other guys, you know, Kirk Cousins, you're going to have to overspend on for a handful of years. You know, Ryan Tannehill, if you really want him just as a filler, you're going to have to spend a good amount of money because even though he might not command a lot of teams – Teams are still going to come in and try to go after him. So he's going to demand – he's going to have some sort of market uh, coming into this free agency period. And so, as I mentioned, again, they the Patriots have $118 million committed to next season's roster and are projected – and the salary cap is projected to hit around two, $240, right, $240 million. And – if the Pats were to get to that 90% floor for 2024, you know, like I said, there is that uh, the 90% rule where teams need to spend up to 90% in cash from 2024 to 2026. And cash spending is the, you know, paid out. It's the money that's paid out called real cash. Um, and you can do that by cap, you know, several ways, including, uh, you know, just again, uh, paying guys out through signing bonuses, you know, guaranteed contracts, so on and so forth. 
uh, bonuses. But um, if they were to hit that 90% floor for 2024, then the Patriots would need to shell out almost $100 million. So if you look at it like this, those, those guys at positions that we desperately need, those are the types of guys where you could probably sign Kirk Cousins to it's going to be a lot of that, probably close to 40 to 50 million a year, you know, it, it, for two, three years, depending on what he's thinking. Um, and if you can get him for, I would say that two years, um, then you probably have to pay him two at 80 at the cheapest or two at a hundred at the most. And that's going to be a lot a lot and fully guaranteed. So that's like 50 right there. And then with Mike Evans, if you want him, if T Higgins isn't available, Michael Pittman Jr. is not available. Um, you know, you're going to really be strapped if you're going to try to go after Kirk Cousins um, or any of these quarterbacks, really. I think Gardner, obviously, you can get cheaper. You're going to get him more in the, I would say, 20 to 30 range. Baker, I would say 30 range because they made the uh, NFC divisional round. Against the Lions, played a good game, but uh, got shellacked, <laughs> got uh, bum-rushed a lot. So there's still a lot of money for them um, to be able to spend. And then when it comes to the third overall pick, right, Gerard Mayo, when it comes to the third overall pick and asking, you know, who are they going to take? And he says, quote, we're going to take the best available player for the biggest need on the team. Offensive line, receiver, quarterback, pick your choice. Well, I think part of it depends on what you do in the free agency period. But it's not like I feel confident with the amount of O-line talent that could hit free agency. Don't forget that. None of these guys are truly in free agency yet. You know, they still have to go through that re-signing phase and the uh, franchise tag phase. So none of those guys are available. O-line, I don't like the talent there. Receiving core, yeah, you have Marvin Harrison Jr., but there are guys you can definitely get, guys from Washington. Um, and then, But at the end of the day, who do you, like, everyone's talking about the most important position in the NFL, which is the quarterback. And you're going to need to get a quarterback. You're going to need that future guy. It just is going to depend on, you know, how are you going to do it? You know, who are you going to go after? that is concerning like that, right? You know, it's, are you going to shell out all this money for a uh, Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, or are you going to just let the new kid have at it? Um, So that's interesting. And then another point for New England is the fact that New England's on an offensive coordinator search. They're on a full coordinator search, and I love it. You know, they didn't do this for – the head coach, which I think isn't the best move for them. I thought they should have at least, you know, talked to Mike Vrabel, talked to um, some of the other, you know, coaches out there, some of the other offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, and they're, you know, just to see what their philosophies are like and learn more from them. And then if you do still end up with Gerard Mayo, you can tell them, hey, these are what is, this is what is going on now in the league. This is what, we have to change our offense to be. We, we're done with this. We're done with the Brady, Charlie Weiss, 
uh, Josh McDaniel's offense. Now we have to focus on this new brand of offense, the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, you know, system. Um, so with that, they are, they have been interviewing some guys, one of which um, I wish, you know, we could have gotten, but it fell through due to the fact that, well, the offensive coordinator position in Cincinnati opened up and that is Dan Pitcher. Dan Pitcher had a Zoom interview yesterday with New England. He's uh, he's the quarterback's coach. He's responsible for the third down packages, as well as had some uh, experience with the in-game clock management, which as uh, us Patriots fans know, clock management is one of the most important and underrated aspects of a head coach's job, and nobody did it better than Bill. Nobody did it better than Bill. I learned my clock management from watching the Patriots and Bill Belichick. There's no two ways about that. So the fact that he was the quarterback's coach, he's had a great relationship with Joe Burrow, um, obviously helped Jake Browning succeed and surpass kind of what I think we all thought he was going to be. Uh, I thought that was great. But again, at the end of the day, even before I saw the report that he was, you know, going, he was staying in Cincinnati to be their OC again, with all of that burrow chase, uh, T Higgins, you know, that old line, which played better. I thought this season, um, you know, why would he leave? You know, the, the offensive coordinator just got the head coaching job with Tennessee. Why would this guy give up the opportunity to be an offensive coordinator with a team that who the hell do we have? I think that's the million dollar question. Who the hell do we have that he can work with here? He's got the receivers. He's got the quarterback. He's got the O-line. What more do you want? Now he gets to run his thing. And the Patriots also met with a uh, former Patriot, uh, Nick Cayley, who was a former Patriot staffer from 2015 to 2022. He was the Rams tight end coach this season, uh, was able to see what the Sean McVay system is like. So at least he's got some experience with that, as well as helping the development of fifth rounder Davis Allen. And the other Rams guy that uh, the Patriots were talking to is Zach Robinson who was a former Patriots draft pick in 2010, but didn't make it out of training camp, bounced around the league for a few years, ended up going to PFF as an analyst uh, and was a QB tutor before becoming an assistant quarterbacks coach for the Rams in 2019, being promoted to quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator in 2022. Now, with all that being said, I know I just threw a lot of information at you. With all that being said, one of the guys that I would, I would prefer if I had to choose is definitely Zach Robinson. I would definitely prefer to have Zach Robinson um, over Nick Cayley, not just because uh, Nick Cayley worked here for a long time and only is one year away from New England, but also because, too, he's the quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator. That is, you know, huge to me because it goes to show he has an understanding of what the passing game is going to look like, learning under McVay, you know, coaching under McVay, seeing that for a long time, I think is going to help him be an offensive coordinator. You know, so, you know, if it's not here, it's somewhere else. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, also, just a couple quick side notes. Um, 
they're, the Pats are looking at Rams assistant special teams coach Jeremy Springer and requested to speak to Marquise Williams from Atlanta. As for the defensive coordinator search, everything sounds like it's turning up. Uh, Demarcus Covington, who was the defensive line coach for New England this season, he's a strong favorite. And again, I'm not opposed to having him. I thought the D line is probably one of the best um, parts of uh, you know the defense this season. You know, especially with the way Christian Barmore just absolutely turned up. I loved it. And, you know, I'm excited to see what he can be like uh, in the future. Hopefully he's a piece you need to build around. Christian Barmore is absolutely a piece you need to build around. Um, as well as a couple other guys, Michael Hodges, Saints assistant, has done very well uh, with the Saints defense. Christian Parker is a DB's coach. He's young. He's 32. Uh, has really helped Pat Sertan become um, a you know a success in the league. So I think that's good. But one of the million-dollar questions that I have is, who's going to have the final say? You know, free agency, again, it's not here yet, but it will be soon. And who's going to have the final say? Who's going to have the final say on trades? Drafting. I think that is a scary prospect. And something I will absolutely get to next week because that in and of itself, I think is worth a whole segment. So next, the honest, it's interesting to see kind of when you're talking about the victories, right? Talking about who are so good, the teams that are so good, one of which I'm wearing this, you know, their jacket right now, the Celtics. They are so good. And also the Bruins, the Celtics and the Bruins have just been on a tear the last two seasons, including this one, not two years ago, last season and this season. And what I mean by that is if you were watching the CBS uh, uh, football game on Sunday, you probably came across this stat. The total win percentage since 2012, excuse me, 2012, uh, 2022 through 2023 in all four major sports. Now, this is a stat. When you talk about win percentage, it's so easy for all five teams to be NFL teams because, let's face it, you're only playing a certain amount of games, and the best teams are always have two, three, at most four losses in a season. And so when you see two teams that are that that's number two with 730 that have played 82 games in a season, as well as another team that has a 717 win percentage that has also played 82 games in a regular season on top of what has been played so far this season, I was in shock seeing this. And again, I wasn't necessarily massively in shock but i was you know happily surprised happily surprised to see how well again just from a statistical standpoint both these teams are doing now as we all know the bruins and celtics broke our hearts last uh season during the playoffs bruins fell apart after leading the panthers three to three games to one and the celtics you know, fell down three games to none against the Heat. Somehow, some way, forced a game seven 
but then Tatum rolls his ankle and it completely uh, blows it. So I just thought that was a cool little stat, something that you guys would enjoy. But getting back to it, I want to start off with um, the Bruins because as it stands right now, they have a five-game win streak. They are they defeated the top-ranked uh, defensive team in the Central Division. Well, actually, they have a top defensive team in the NHL and also the top team in the Central Division in the Winnipeg Jets. Beat them 4-1. to one. I love that game because it felt like a real playoff atmosphere. And the Bruins were up 2-1 to one after 2 and somehow didn't collapse. They didn't, you know, fall flat on their face like they've done time and time again. It was exciting. It was a hell of a game. Jake DeBrusque helped put the Bruins up 3-1. to one. And then Marshawn uh, hit the empty netter, making it a four to one final. Now, this game, again, against the top defensive team in the NHL, it stopped the Jets' uh, streak from allowing two goals or fewer through 14 games, as well as three goals or fewer dating back for 34 games. So these guys keep the opponent low, 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 low. And the thing I hate about the second one, the three or fewer, is the fact that, again, the fourth goal did come on an empty net. So truly, can we say that, you know, they – I mean, technically, yes, they did snap the streak. But come on. You know, it was an empty net goal. They technically – didn't allow it because you know their extra man uh wasn't in net <laughs> so i don't know i liked it but swayman you know I, I killed it the dude was just lights out he again is showing me time and time and time again that you give this man the net you make him the number one goaltender i promise you he is that dude he is that dude, and he showed it. He stopped 20 and 21 shots and is now 15, 3 and 7 on the season. You know, there was an onslaught and early on in that third period where he was making some unbelievable saves, and I loved every second of it. I thought he was definitely a guy which still pisses me off that the Bruins sent to arbitration. And again, if you have to put everything into perspective, I think I can do that is the fact that I think, you know, the salary cap and the NHL teams signed away um, their future. The elite teams signed away their future due to the fact that um, they, uh, the salary cap couldn't rise like it normally does due to the fact that the money was being allocated very differently. And that's, that was an issue. Uh, but Jeremy Swayman is still a Bruin for now. Hopefully he will be uh, at the start of next season because he is a free agent. But the dude is your number one goaltender. Stop with this back and forth nonsense. Jeremy Swayman needs to be the number one, especially come playoff time. If Linus Allmark gets to start for game one, that's going to really piss me off. And 
again, I wouldn't be shocked if the Bruins just collapse again. You know, they're going to go, they're going to screw it all up again if Linus Allmark is their number one goaltender come playoffs. I know they're talking about, oh, we're just going to rotate. You're not going to do that. That's stupid. If you're right, if you're going to take off, take away a hot goaltender just because you want to rotate in the playoffs where you need to win every game, dumb, dumb, dumb. Um, I like Charlie Coyle. The dude has scored a career high in Boston. You know, he is a higher uh, goal total while in Minnesota. But in his time in Boston, he has scored a career high 17 against uh, Winnipeg. So, And he's he's really been stepping up. I thought that Charlie Coyle was best as a third-line center. He was big enough, strong enough, and skilled enough to defeat other third lines. But the fact that he's done as well as he has – playing on, you know, flirting between first and second line, just being a top six sentiment. He's really impressed me with the absence of Bergeron and Krejci. Also, uh, nice little note, Jake DeBrusque, eight game in 14 games, the last 14 straight games. He has four, eight goals, six assists, and 14 points. It's a point per game guy. Nice, right? Guess what? Ship him out of here. Him and Allmark, package deal. Get get Elias Lindholm. Get Noah Hannafin. Get guys that you know are not only top six, but top line center and a top two D pairing. You're going to have to shell out a little bit more money, duh, but get them out of here because Jake DeBrusque is hot right now and trade him while he's hot. I said it about... Allmark coming into the season. I wanted to trade him all offseason because I thought that was going to be his best year. He wasn't going to play any better than that in his, you know, stock market. His value was not, could not get any higher. And I believe it has definitely come down uh, during this season, but that's, that's a problem next. Um, so, yeah, so I want the two of them out of here. Make Swayman the number one guy, get guys worth you know, the value that you can get for DeBrusque being the goal scorer that he is. And maybe, hey, you know what? You can get two for the price of one, right? Get a, a top three, maybe a top pairing or a top six centerman, as well as a top two defenseman. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, but the next stretch is not going to be easy. You know, we're really going to find out a lot about this Bruins team, um, especially with, obviously, the all-star break. Um you know, coming just around the corner, you know, they are playing Carolina as we speak. The game has started at 7.30. So they are playing the Hurricanes as we speak, as well as going to be in Philly on Saturday. And then they are home against Calgary, Vancouver, Washington, Tampa, Seattle, LA, and Dallas. So we're really going to find out what this team is made of over the next several weeks. And I'm definitely looking forward to that. And for those who don't know, um, Bergeron, there were rumors of him making his grand return sometime in March. You know, he's been skating recently. He's staying fit. He's apparently looking good, according to a couple of the uh, spitting chicklets uh, guys, Ryan Whitney, um, you know, uh, from Barstool. You know, they were, they were talking about all the rumors, but – 
Patrice said in a text with Boston Herald, Steve Conroy, quote, I am, all caps, not making a comeback. That sucks. You know, actually, it doesn't suck. I'm I'm actually glad, honestly, because one of the things that, that's been a problem with the Bruins is their, I want to call it loyalty. Um, that's partially it. But, like, again, just bringing back guys, trying to bring the band back together. I thought with Krejci coming back last season, I thought it was just going to be, you know, a run of the mill. I didn't expect much to come of it. Of course, they have the best season in NHL history, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, the other thing, too, with their soft spots for Cam Neely and Don Sweeney and, you know, oh, we have to get rid of Bruce Cassidy because Jake the Brust cried. Yes, that's part of the reason why I want the Brust gone is because he cried and they decided to stay with the player over the coach. And then what did the coach do? He goes to Vegas and wins the Stanley Cup. And if you were smart enough, he would have won it against you. It would have been great. But no. So that's that's an issue. And that's why I, you know, don't like the idea of Bergeron coming back while he might play a few extra games, you know, or not play a few extra games, but while he might finish out the season again. How long is it going to take him to get his sea legs under him? How long is he going to be able to, you know, skate with the rest of the uh, the NHL? Can he? Is he too old? There's a million questions. He said he's not. I'm taking him at his word. No Bergeron. Sorry, but, you know, it's tough. It's tough. Um, So going from one top team to another, you have the Boston Celtics. Now with the Celtics, they played the Denver Nuggets. And I went on, I did a, you know, reel uh, or I went live uh, during the final five minutes of the uh, game and I was, I was heated. You know, I, I was really excited. You know, it definitely felt like a playoff atmosphere type game and I loved it. Um, of course I was bummed, but you know, thought, all right, well, Hey, you, you're playing the defending champs. Obviously you can't win them all. Your 20 game win streak was snapped. Well, when I went back and actually looked at how that game ended, because again, sometimes when I'm watching, you know, right there live, like everything doesn't necessarily comprehend. Um, it's not until I go back where I can see everything else. And it's like, oh, all right, that's that's what I missed. That's what I missed. But with this, they looked exactly like the playoff Celtics of last year. You know, when they came out, they played well in the beginning. They were spreading the ball around. Porzingis going against Jocic um, was, or, you know, Joker was great. You know, that was a good matchup. Porzingis was scoring a lot of points. He was the dude in the first half. But then you, you just, you pissed it away. You know, when Jokic left the court and Jamal Murray's their lone guy, he schooled your ass. So, Again, what are we doing? You had a very winnable game on the table. And I'm not just talking about because of Tatum's final shot. No, no, no. You had a very winnable game overall. And you pissed it away. The team went one of nine for shooting in the final five minutes. 
in a season low 39 points at the TD Garden after halftime. So the whole second half, they only put up 39, which is a season low at the TD Garden. What a joke. For a team that is too damn talented, too damn strong, you pissed away a winnable game. And Tatum and Brown, the superstars disappeared. 100% disappeared. Tatum with 22 points and Brown with 13. And they phased out Porzingis. He had a strong first half, but they're like, now nah, we got this. We're good. We're going we're gonna to move on. We're, we're not going to give Kristaps the ball anymore. And Kristaps is not going to take any shots. In the final quarter, guess how many points Porzingis scored? Can you guess? One. Of his 21 points in the whole game against Denver, he scored one point. That's right. And you can't do that. He needed more opportunities, especially due to the fact that they they needed it. They absolutely needed him, and they either phased him out or as well as him just stopped shooting. You know, he only took a handful of shots, and that one point came from a free throw. You know, he had one made and one miss. Everything else, which was like two shots, uh, two or three shots, he missed. Now, again, I mentioned him last week. Derek White, stud, racked up 24 points. But at the end of the game, it was all the Jays, which sucks sometimes. Again, kind of being Marcus Smart-esque. You know, they're trying to take it on themselves rather than spread the ball out figure hey i'm sucking hey tatum sucking but wait Derek white's having a hell of a game let's feed him the ball let's make let's give him the matchups they didn't do that tatum and brown sucked and getting to tatum's final shot you know how they say that you know for the best players in crunch time everything slows down for them not for jason not at all I think anybody with a brain who you know saw that thought the exact same thing. They're thinking to themselves, what are you doing? You know, he sped that up way too fast. They had what, 4.6 seconds, I think, left on the clock. He got the ball on in the inbound, took one dribble, and then turned to his left and did a one uh one leg fadeaway. And you could just see. Everything was bad. You could tell, even as he's releasing the ball, this ball's not going in. No faith, no shot that he was going to hit that bucket. And the funny thing about that is he said it himself. He goes, quote, I think I kind of rushed it. Yeah, you did. Because I timed it. I was able to watch the clock as well as see at what point the ball left his fingertips. Between 4.6 seconds and zero, can you tell me exactly at what point that ball left his fingertips? Three full seconds. 3.0 was left on that clock when it all happened. And... It was it was wild to me. I couldn't believe when I saw that. You know, I, I'm 
looking at it going, dude, why, why did you release it that soon? What are you thinking? You know, what is he thinking? The moment's too big for him. I can't believe I have to say that. Jason Tatum is the superstar player for Boston. He talks about being, what was it, you know, sneakily one of the top five players in the world. And yet he he crumbles. You give him the final shot and he crumbles. Now, I want to get to this stat real quick. But I thought this was unbelievable. When it comes to game tying slash game winning shots, yeah, Jason Tatum per uh, – Tim uh, Bontaps of ESPN, um, probably mispronounced that, but sorry. <laughs> Jason Tatum is three for 13 on game tying or go-ahead field goal attempts in the final 10 seconds of the fourth quarter or overtime in the past two seasons. Yeah. It feels like he just can't he, – he rushes things. He's sped up. He's – all in his head. He doesn't understand really how much time 4.6 seconds actually is. You know, if he could understand what is going on. Now, he he also claims that he thought he was going to get fouled. Why? You know, like that. I thought that was just an idiotic comment because, you know, why would they follow him in that moment? Um. You know, because they lost 102 to 100. So what, you make them shoot two free throws? No, I'd rather risk it from that perspective. I'd rather risk exactly what Denver did than follow him and go through all of that. And, you know, I'll even podcast with Barry on the Grid Network, so check it out if you haven't. Uh, says, sometimes I think there's a lack of trust between Tatum Brown versus the others. Absolutely, Barry. You know, that's exactly what has gone on. And I think it all stems from, you know, their time with Marcus Smart. I hate trying to put the blame solely on him because it's it's more than that. But the way that Smart kind of treated them and how I was saying for years that they needed to get out from underneath his shadow. And now that they have, it's... You know, it's still kind of living that moment. They believe they are the superstars, which they are, but they think they've already earned the honor rather than show up when they need to. You know, what have they won? That's right. Nothing. They haven't won a title. And again, in Boston, in this city, Eastern Conference championships don't freaking matter. There are 17 banners at the top of the garden that say otherwise. All right. Yes. Some of them were dating back to the sixties and seventies and eighties. Most of them actually, let's see 16 of them, but um, you know, you can't, you can't, you have to show it when it matters most. You have to prove it when it matters. Game seven against Miami. Jason wasn't the same after he rolled his ankle. And I know it's hard. I think they rolled him a high ankle sprain, something like that. But, you know, Jalen Brown also sucked in game seven. He was perfectly healthy. Um, And, yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, it's nice to see Derek White, you know, come into his own, really be one of our key contributors. Christoph Porzingis, 
being a real key contributor, but they need to trust him. And that also could go back to Joe Mazzula, who I thought Kendrick Perkins had a hell of a quote talking about Joe Mazzula saying, quote, they have two Joe Mazzulas. They have one that got uh, the philosophy where you're going to get up more threes than you. When they hit him, he looks great. Then they have the other Joe Mazzola who stands over there, and you wonder if you take his brain and put it in a bird, the bird is going to start flying backwards. You got that Joe Mazzola. He goes on to say, you know why I say that? It's because he doesn't get the guy's easy looks. Time and time again, we keep saying attack the paint. Uh, you have so many guys that are great at cutting, they cannot continue to play AAU-style basketball all the time. you got to have sets, um, end quote. And that is exactly the truth. Now, I don't believe it's all uh, Joe Missoula because Joe Missoula bought into what the nerds and analytics has sold him, which is get rid of the mid-range jumper. You either go to the basket or you shoot threes. There's a reason why the Celtics have always been one of the top three-point shooting teams in terms of field goals attempted in the NBA. It's because they live and die by the three. And if they're off, God, they're off. But when they're on, God, they're on. You know, it's it's this, it's this dichotomy that just does not equal success. You know, especially when you have guys that, Again, are very good from the three, but are liable to miss. If you had a guy like Steph Curry, who is Mr. Automatic, now, of course, he does miss. He does have his off games, but even his off games are Jalen Brown's best games from three. Like, that's that's the crazy part, right? So that's why I sit here and I go, all right, you know, this is why I can't stand nerds. And can't in nerds and sports. And I got nothing against these people, you know, personally. I have everything against them philosophically and how they've changed two of my favorite sports, which is basketball and baseball. Baseball they've murdered because now all these pitchers can only go, you know, through the whole order twice. If they go through the order three times, they're like, oh, they're going to hit them. And there's so much wrong with it. And then in basketball, they've completely eliminated the mid-range jumper, which Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett built careers off of. Built careers off of. And this is what you're doing? This is why you think this is better? What? Because you take a couple feet, a couple steps back, and you shoot the ball you know, from there versus a couple steps forward, and you think that, oh, well, it's worth more. So why even bother going for the two? It's just it's it's idiotic. It to some degree, yeah, it has makes logical sense because let's see, three is greater than two. Hey, I can do math, yay! <laughs> but um, but it's ruined the game. It's ruined the game due to the fact that you have these teams now relying heavily on three, and one of them being the Celtics. One of them being the Celtics. Jason Tatum can drive the paint. He should be able to score from anywhere, and he can. He absolutely can. But you're you're having these guys come down the court, and within, I don't know, five seconds 
of your possession crossing center court, within five seconds, you're chucking up a three. Explain to me how that makes sense. And like I said, Joe Missoula is bought into that fact. And this is one of the many reasons why I kind of agree with Perkins. I think it's a wild, um, I think it's a wild analogy, you know, put his brain in a bird and the bird's going to fly backwards instead of forwards. Uh, crazy analogy. But Joe Missoula still has a lot to learn as a head coach. He's got a long, long, long way to go. And I'm one of these guys who I, I believe that the head coach in the NBA is relatively useless. Um, but when it comes to games like these, this is where the coach matters. And I know I'm contradicting myself. You're saying that that doesn't make sense, Tim. How can you say on one hand that the coach is relatively useless, but then when the game is close, that the coach matters? I I don't disagree with you. I don't. But when it comes to certain things, Michael Malone schooled, schooled Joe Missoula in the Celtics from a coaching degree. Absolutely did. And that's why I totally believe that it, you know, it's, it's tough. It's difficult to sit here and say that, you know, yes, I believe coaches don't matter, but then in you know, certain scenarios and certain tight spots, they do matter. But I think it's, uh, it also comes down to the philosophy and a lot of teams in the NBA have adopted the Joe Missoula, the nerd analytic philosophy of shoot as many threes and, you know, you'll make more threes than you miss, which, um, or you make you make certain amount of threes, you're going to win the game. I, I still don't believe that that works, um, but that's the new NBA now, and it's a shame. But I will say that game, as as we saw the Celtics fall the way they have, as as we saw the Celtics act like their old selves. I think at the end of the day, though, uh, they were able to bounce back and bounce back quick against Houston. Per, you know, in Houston, it was a perfect rebound game. Porzingis stepped up, has scored 32 points. And a sneaky note about Kristaps is he's having his most efficient year shooting this season, 50, shooting 52% from the field. So, in other words, get Porzingis the ball. <laughs> like, hello? McFly, what are we doing? Yes, you got Tatum, you got Brown, you got White, you got Holiday, but you got a big man underneath who can maneuver and play. So I, I love the addition of Kristaps. He's been excellent uh, for the Celtics, much needed, especially with how Robert Williams, uh, Time Lord, talked a lot about last week. Uh, he, he's, he's so much more than what Time Lord, Robert Williams III could ever be in this offense. So loving that. And then Dallas game, um, it didn't look good. It didn't look good at certain points in that Dallas game, uh, especially in the fourth. I mean, they lost the quarter by two. They shot one from eight from three or outscored, out-rebounded, out-assisted, you know, against Dallas. But I think one of the big things about that game, which I found to be more than just the numbers, was the fact that the Celtics looked fresh. The Celtics looked good. They 
you know, even though they were playing the second of a back-to-back and Dallas had five days off due to the fact that their game against Golden State got postponed because of the death of a Golden State assistant coach, which uh, thoughts and prayers to him and his family. Um, you know, it's, it's a tragedy, and I am very sorry to hear that. Uh, but Dallas had five days off and just didn't look 100%. Now, Luka and Kyrie, excellent players. No two ways about it. But I was glad to see the Celtics rebound. Both Jays were in the 30s, I think, if I remember correctly. Tatum at 35, Brown at 33 uh, points. So great game by both. And I'm glad to see that they can pick it up, that they can rebound that quickly off a bad performance like they had on Friday against Denver. So Celtics... You know what? I, I think we're good for now. I don't think there's really need, you know, time for panic because when push comes to shove, they still have a few more games that, you know, I really have circled on the calendar that I want to see how they are able to perform. Are they going to look like they did in the final half uh, against Denver or are they going to look like they did against Houston and Dallas? You know, so that's kind of the – there are a few more games left this season. And again, we haven't even reached the trade deadline. We haven't even reached the all-star break for the NBA. So there's plenty of time, plenty of time for that. Now, lastly, I got to talk about the Red Sox. I got to talk about the winter weekend. It was this past weekend. And what a freaking nightmare that has turned into. Oh, my God. What a freaking nightmare. Yeah, that's right. I just quoted my cousin Vinny. <laughs> but this is supposed to be a fun time. And that's the ironic part. This is supposed to be a fun time for families to bring their kids. They can talk to some of their favorite baseball players. They can, you know, interact with Wally the Green Monster and, you know, have the Red Sox brass show up who can sell, you know, the team and say to the fans, Hey, we got this guys. We are good to go. Well, that all has been ruined due to the fact that this team, that since this ownership group bought it, has spent billions and billions of dollars on this organization, spending hard-earned cash, spending over the luxury tax multiple times, and winning four World Series out of it. 2004, they broke the curse. 2007, they were a dominant team. There was no stopping them. 2013, I think they just rode rode lightning all the way to a World Series championship, especially after the Boston Marathon, you know, bombings. That was tragic. I think we all remember where we were when we heard that news. Um, And also, too, the 2018 team, which is quite arguably the greatest Red Sox team greatest baseball team in history. And so with all of that being said, this winter weekend, which is supposed to be this fun time for families and kids has totally been taken over by, you know, fans that have the opportunity to speak their mind to the owners. And you know what? Good. 
these jackasses need to be held accountable. They absolutely need to be held accountable for how they've treated this great organization dating back to dismantling the team from 2018 till now, finishing last three of four years in the AL East. You can't have that. You absolutely cannot have that. Now, in December or November, excuse me, late November, Tom Werner and his dumbass came out and said that they expect to be going full throttle this uh, in free agency with Shohei Otani, uh, Yamamoto, even the other the Japanese lefty, uh, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, like all these guys, Juan Soto um, available for trades, all these guys out there available. And he's like, we're going full throttle, baby. Yeah, the Red Sox are back. We're done losing. I filled in a lot. Uh, let me tell you, I filled in a lot right there. The two words that he actually spoke were full throttle. He, he said, we're going full throttle. And now, let's see. They were interested in Otani. They were interested in Yamamoto. Interested in the lefty from Japan. They were interested in blah, 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 blah. And have spent, I don't know, less than $5 million. Hey, I, I, you know, this offseason, which is probably wrong, but it's it's definitely not more than 20 I can tell you that much uh, from all their free agent signings. So Tom Warner and Sam Kennedy somehow figured out a way to twist themselves into a pretzel to saying that we, Red Sox fans, we're the problem. That's right. We're the problem, not them. No, 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 no. We're overthinking this, right? So starting off with... Tom Warner and his full throttle comment. Talk about backtracking. It's actually hilarious to read. He says, quote, a lot has been made of two words. Really? Two words? Yeah. Because let's see, full throttle means you're going to do something and do it big. He goes on to say, when I was, quote, when I was saying full throttle, I admitted that those weren't the most artful words. We are accountable to our fans. Oh, well, thank you, Tom. I'm glad you're accountable to us. It's not like you should be. It's not like, you know, you have such a busy day that, oh, us as fans, we don't want to bother you. No, no, no. You're you're good sitting up on your, on your perch. Yeah, okay. Not in this city, pal. He continues on. We're not happy. As Sam said, for our performance last year, we expect to be better this year. Why? Why do you expect to be better? What have you done in going off and trading for guys, signing guys, hell, even bringing guys up? What makes you think that we expect to be better? What, because Tristan Cassis finally decided to hit the gym instead of eating all his snickerdoodles at home and, you know, and being in a Zen state? No. I I have no idea how Tristan Cassis is going to do this year. You know, if he's good, I'll definitely be happy about it. But Cassis is not going to save us. 
Brian Bale is not going to save this organization. You did nothing. I go on. Warner goes on to say that, quote, for me personally, full throttle is that I approach every year expecting us to be competitive using all the levers at Fresno's disposal. That could be acquiring talent through trades, free agency, building a core, having a strong pitching staff, and having a stronger coaching staff. We weren't good enough defensively last year. In what? Trading for that you know, second baseman who Atlanta tried. They tried to give this kid the starting shortstop position. And he sucked defensively. That's why they didn't, that's why they traded him for Chris Sale. You have done nothing. You have done nothing through trades, through free agency, through building a core. You think your core, all you want is control. You want guys under control, you know, under team control. That's all Brussels has been talking about ever since he got this damn job. And that's all Kyan Bloom talked about. And, you know, and to this, I will say this. To Kyan Bloom, there are aspects of what happened that, yes, I apologize for certain things that I said about you. Not that I ever said anything bad. No, no, no. Just from, you know, the fact that this was all – all the blame for you not spending, for you not going out and improving this organization was solely placed on you. Now I know for a fact that it's John Henry has a massive stick up his butt because he's a hell of a lot more concerned about his team in London, his team. uh, I'm going to get to that in a minute, but to continue on with Tom Warner, um, what a joke, what a joke that he is now putting the blame on Breslow saying that, oh, well, hey, he's got all, you know, everything at his disposal. He's good. He could go out and do this. No, he doesn't. You're trying to hide. You're trying to hide behind another GM. And you wonder why you had 10 GMs turn your ass down. Because this should be one of, if not the most prestigious job in baseball. And yet you're treating it like it's a, child's plaything like it's a chew toy that like my puppy here you can chew on it for 30 seconds and then be done with it and never come back to it for days weeks months at a time so spare me your nonsense and trying to put the blame all on brezel who just got the job a month and a half ago so yeah there's that and he wasn't their first choice either He'd talk about another nerd. Um, Tom Warner also did an interview with MassLive.com saying that, quote, whoever spends the most amount of money in free agency doesn't necessarily hoist the World Series trophy at the, at the end of the year. And to that I go, oh, really? What happened in 2018? You have the highest payroll in baseball. And you won. You won it all. And you had the best team in baseball. You had the most expensive and the best. Hmm, yeah. I think actually spending money does equate to wins. Does equate to victories. At least in that sport. Unbelievable. But the story's not over. 
because Sam Kennedy, who loves to talk about how he's a local guy. Come on. Just, just, you know, you can trust me. I'm a local guy. I grew up less than a mile. I'm, yeah. Oh, it gets good. Because Sam Kennedy, in an interview with EEI over this week, this past weekend, um, you know, they they try to push back on the fact that, the, you know, this the narrative that they aren't as interested in winning World Series as they once were, right? Because finishing three out of four, not spending money, having probably one of the best free agents ever to hit the open market and you pissed away that opportunity. Yeah, they're definitely not interested in winning a World Series anytime soon. So Sam Kennedy went all scorched earth with this response, and boy, did it. Did I love it because he is so effing stupid. Sam Kennedy said, quote, when we have two sucky seasons like we've had, these are natural questions. We take them in. But I can tell you, as a kid who grew up less than a mile from Fenway, don't care. If you think for one second that we aren't passionate, committed, dedicated to the Boston Red Sox, you're wrong. You're a liar. And I'll correct you on it because it's total BS. We are committed. We are frustrated. We take it personally. Really? Really? You're calling me. You're calling you a liar. That's right. He's calling you a liar. Don't you love that? Sam Kennedy, the man who is running the Red Sox for the Fenway Sports Group, for Tom Warner running the Red Sox, for John freaking Henry. This man just called you a liar. Because, no, we want to win World Series. Really? So in three of the last four years, what have you done to show us that you want to win a World Series? And to that, that to me was fantastic. Because I get to sit there and listen to this and be like, God, talk about how out of freaking touch these people are and not even realizing, you know, again, we're smart. We understand what the hell is going on. You know, we don't just boo because we're a-holes. We boo because you suck. So once you start performing better, then we'll cheer for you. If you're out there talking about, we're going to spend all this money, we're going full throttle, baby, and you don't do a damn thing. And trust me, the signings that they did, I don't consider a, you know them doing anything, honestly. Lucas Giolito, yeah, okay. Like, big, big whoop. That's our biggest signing to date. Un- and it's January 24, 2024. What a joke. So, the fact that he's calling me and that Sam Kennedy – The guy who's running the Red Sox is calling you a liar. You should take that personally. And you know what? Go go after them. Not not physically, not anything like that. But go after them where it hurts. The Red Sox have the highest ticket prices in Major League Baseball. 
They have the most expensive beers and food at uh, in Major League Baseball. And yet they also, oh, I forgot to say this too, that the Red Sox payroll um, was ranked 13th last season at $181 million. Oh, yeah, and by the way, Sam Kennedy also said that he expects to spend less than $181 million this season. So take that in. And again, remember, he's calling you. He's calling you a liar for thinking that ownership doesn't want to spend or doesn't want to win a, a World Series anytime soon. Yeah, that's right. Hit him where it hurts. I hate, like, I love Fenway. It's the greatest ballpark in the country. I love going there. But these buffoons running my favorite baseball team, your favorite baseball team, refuse to spend, and they are more concerned about getting as much money out of this as they possibly can because they are more they are investing more in Liverpool. There were talks about them getting the best, I think, Kylian Mbappe. You know, I don't know what's going on with that because I don't follow it. But there was talks about them getting the arguably one of the best players in the world. So that's going to cost a lot of money, and it's all guaranteed, just like baseball. Um, they bought the Pittsburgh Penguins. And remember, they screwed over Xander Bogarts. And the only reason why Rafi Devers has an extension and has a contract with the Red Sox is because – they bought the Pittsburgh Penguins, set up the um, Winter Classic at Fenway, round two, Bruins, Penguins. And when John Henry shows up, you have Red Sox fans and Bruins fans chanting to sign Devers and stop being a cheap SOB. That's how we signed Rafi Devers, and don't let them tell you different. They also brought in LeBron a few years ago as a part owner because they're prob- it's probably going to lead to a starting an NBA team in Vegas. They want to expand this portfolio. Their dedication is elsewhere. It is not hard to see. And if anybody, you know, can stand up for them, can defend them, then you clearly haven't been paying attention. It's unbelievable for me to sit back and think that these guys are going to get away with all of this. You know, John Henry was absent from winter weekend because he knew exactly what was coming on. Again, don't let him fool you. There was a scheduling conflict. Nesson, if you want to pay for the Nesson Plus, it's $30 a month. And tell me, what's the most expensive streaming service out there? What, Netflix? And what's that, 15 16 bucks a month? Yeah, Nesson is double for shittier service. That's right. For less quality and, you know, green screens you know, on and off during a broadcast. There was all the, all these tweets about it uh, a couple weeks ago, how bad Nesson has you know, become. You're paying 30 bucks a month for a crappy product just to watch the Bruins and the Red Sox. They're building around the ballpark. They want to create a Patriot place around the ballpark. Not like there's not already one, but they want to do more of it. They want to expand out there. So again, Their focus is elsewhere. It's not to the team. They couldn't give two craps about the team. And yet the problem is Fenway Park, it won't be sold out, but it will sell 90 to 95% because you're going to have whoever the opponent is that weekend, blood. 
flood Fenway Park. And that's the real shame. That's the real travesty. We can't stick it to them right where it matters. And that's tickets and them being able to turn a profit. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk on the Boston Red Sox. (laughs) So, all in all, we have the Patriots who are gearing up to start a whole new regime. You have the Bruins that are riding high, five-game win streak, defeated uh, the Winnipeg Jets, best team in the Central Division. You have the Celtics, tough loss, but were able to rebound in Texas on a back-to-back. Then you have the Red Sox, who, with spring training coming up, I, I don't like their chances. I don't like their chances because unless they can make a major trade, even signing Jordan Montgomery, you know, they're going to try to pass it off like, look, we went full throttle this season. Number one, they're not going to they're not gonna uh, sign him. But if by some strange miracle they do, because they've seen this show, it's, it, it's not going to matter. Because you had arguably the greatest baseball player since Babe Ruth, you know, being able to pitch and hit. And you were like, no, not granted, that contract is wild, but that's a different, sto- different story. You also had a stud, a 25-year-old stud pitcher in Japan that you, again, you undersold. Don't tell me that you were in the range because if you were in any of their ranges, if you were in any of their ranges, all the news reports would be saying that instead of saying you were interested, they would be showing how much you were offered. And clearly, if they haven't shown how much you offered, that you undersold them by a lot which is what you do. And I'm done with it. Fenway Sports Group needs to sell this team. So I want to thank everybody for joining me uh, for the second episode of the Boston Sports Summit. I will be back here next week uh, for episode three. We're going to have a lot more to talk about. Celtics are playing tonight. Bruins are playing right now. I'm excited. Uh, So stick around. A lot of Patriots news coming out. And I'm sure that in the next week, there's going to be more Red Sox talk. So thank you guys so much. I also want to thank the Grid Network for hosting me and allowing me to speak about my favorite uh, sports teams, the teams that I grew up idolizing and watching and watching them win championships. So thank you to the Grid Network. If you haven't checked out the All Even Podcast with Barry Grant, I suggest you do so. And I want to thank you all once again. Uh, for tuning in. Don't forget, like, share, subscribe. Down below, you can see me. I am on Twitter. I am on Instagram, on Twitter or X, at BOS Sports Summit, and on Instagram, at Boston Sports Summit. So like, share, subscribe, follow me. It's going to be, it's such a fun time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I am your host, Tim Barnett, for the Boston Sports Summit. Have a great rest of your night. Thank you.